Well, my name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside as well, and I'd like to welcome all of you here this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we finished up a series. We called it 24, The Journey to the Cross, and we spent about 10 weeks talking about the 24 hours starting on Thursday evening, ending on Friday evening, that led up to and included the the death and the the burial of Jesus Christ. And and one of the things we said several times during that series, we said that these are 24 hours that changed the world. These are 24 hours that were absolutely central to to human history. These are 24 of the most important uh, hours in all of human history. And as I went through that series, there's a question in the back of my mind. You can tell me after the service if it was also in your mind. But as I was saying, and I really do believe that, but as I was saying, you know, these are 24 hours that changed the world. Every once in a while, I'd think, well, what about Easter? <laughs> what about the resurrection? I mean, what about that? Doesn't that matter? I mean, we, many of us, the, the fact is, I, in, in the Western church, and, and many of us are part of this tradition, but, but many of us focus more on the cross than we do the empty tomb. We, we think more about Good Friday than we do Easter Sunday. In fact, I can remember teaching a, a catechism class and having a, a, one of the young people ask me and say, okay, Pastor, I'm going to push you on this. Uh, you know, you said Jesus said it is finished on the cross, that our sins were completely paid for, our sins were completely forgiven. If he hadn't risen from the dead, would we be okay? I mean, it would have been bad for Jesus, but would we be okay? We'd be forgiven, so we'd be... I, I mean, do we really need the resurrection? It's interesting how much we do that, right? We, we kind of are so focused on Good Friday that we sometimes don't even think, I think, as much as we should. Think of how we describe the, the basics of Christianity, and we do this whenever we celebrate communion. And so as we, as we do this this morning, if you're here and you're wondering whether you're uh, welcome to come to the table with us, I want to say absolutely you are. If, if you know the basics of Christianity, and, and we always say there are three basic truths in Christianity. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me, and I want to follow him. You say, that's who I am. I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died for me, and I want to follow him. Then we want to invite you to join us at the table, and we really do as we come to, to the close of the service. We want you to join us at the table. But where's the resurrection? <laughs> I mean, what difference does it make? Would we be okay if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead? What does it mean for us? How, how does it impact us? And so that's why we're going to take uh, kind of a short time here, do a little three-part series, and next week we'll take a little break from it, but we'll finish it the week after. But we're calling this, you know, he is risen. What difference does it make? What's the difference that it makes that Jesus Christ is alive? How does it impact my life? In order to answer this question, we're using a a teaching tool of the church that's over 450 years old called the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's a a series of questions and answers that are helpful in guiding us into the truth of the scriptures and in, in explaining what the scriptures mean. And question and answer 45, the question is this, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? What difference does it make? How does it impact our lives? And last week, Daniel talked about the first thing, and that is by the, by the resurrection, first by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make a share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. In other words, Paul in Romans 4, what Daniel talked about last week, says, you know what, it, it's Jesus Christ when he was raised from the dead. That was God's stamp of approval so that I could know I am forgiven. On the one hand, what, what Paul is talking about in Romans is that Jesus died on the cross and he made the sacrifice on Friday, but Sunday morning we get, God, we get God's stamp of approval. We get God saying, you know what, it's done. He defeated death. This sacrifice is acceptable. And so the first thing that the, the, the resurrection of Christ benefits us is, is looking back and knowing that we are completely forgiven, that we have been made right in Jesus Christ, that our sins are gone. That's, a, that's that first one. By his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness. All right, we share in the righteousness of Jesus because he rose from the dead. 
because he conquered death. The second one is the one we're going to look at today, and I think it's a very important, very challenging one for us to, to think about. The first one looks back. The, the second one looks today to what, what difference it is today. It, it says this, second by his power, we too are already raised to a new life. By his power, we too are already raised to a new life. What, what the catechism is saying here, and I'll show you a bunch of scripture passages that teach this, is that because Jesus Christ arose, because Jesus Christ is alive, my life is changed today. That I myself have been raised from the dead. That I myself, that Jesus Christ is alive in me. And the word I want to kind of challenge you to really focus on, think about it, is that, is that word already. That, that word already, the, the, the scriptures make clear, the catechism makes clear that, that I am a new creation today. I am a new creation today. And, and, and I want to challenge you to think about what that means and, and, and how that works its way out. But first, let me show you some of where this is in scripture. Again, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, starting at verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, right? So we have died in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead. We talk about this when we do a baptism, that, that the water symbolizes death. That we go under the water, that, we, that we've been baptized with Christ and we have died. But we've also come out of the water, we've also been raised. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. And so just in that way... We too may live a new life today. It's not that we too may one day live a new life, but that today Jesus Christ is alive in us. Going a few verses further, Romans 6, 9 through 11. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, all right, since he conquered death, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God today in the same way. Just as Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is alive, and so am I. But does my life show it? Colossians 2, 11 and 12. Your whole self ruled by the flesh, that's my sinful nature, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, when you were saved, when you were baptized, having been buried with him in his baptism, in that imagery that we die with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, look at the tense. You were also raised. It's not just something in the future. It's not just something that's going to make a difference down the road. Yes, it certainly is hope that one day there will be a resurrection. We'll talk about that in two weeks. But this is saying, right now, today, I am made new. One more, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. And again, these are the key verbs. It's here. It's a reality. That's why the catechism says, based on all these scripture passages, and there are more of them, that by his power, we too are already raised to new life. And that's, that's what I want to think about with you for just a couple of minutes today. To, to think about that, that I am a new creation today, that Jesus Christ is alive in me today, that by the power of his spirit, I am a new creation. I am a new creation. And, and, and that's who I am. I want to unpack this by asking kind of quickly three questions. But, but the first one is, is, is this. How, how much transformation, how much change should we expect as Christians? 
You know, if I am a new creation, how much should that be noticeable? How much difference should it make? The fact of the matter is, I think for many of us here this morning, I I don't know if it's most, I'd be tempted to say for most of us, the, the fact is, I think the first answer we have to give to this is more than many of us expect. I think for too many of us, we too easily fall into this pattern of, of kind of saying, of, of course I keep on sinning. I'm not perfect. And there's some truth to that. But I think for many of us, we don't expect to change at all. And for many of us, we just kind of say, well, no, I, I don't think I'm going to get any better because I'm still a sinner. And we're so good at Good Friday. We're so good at recognizing our brokenness. We're so good at talking about our failures that we don't recognize. Again, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Really? Is that what it looks like? There's a bumper sticker, a a license plate some of you may have seen, and and it's not horrible. I don't want to say, oh man, if you got this, go take it off your car right now. But, But, and I know the sentiment behind it, it's good, but just stop and think about something with me once, right? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. On the one hand, that's true, right? We don't come and judge everybody else and say, I'm perfect and you're not and you should be. We say, no, I'm forgiven, but I don't think the scriptures say we're just forgiven. I don't think the scriptures say that's all we are. The fact is, all these passages that I've read, I said, I'm forgiven and transformed. I'm supposed to be made new. I'm not just forgiven. Jesus Christ is alive. And if I say, well, I'm just forgiven, and that's all I expect in this life, then in one sense, I am denying the resurrection. Now, again, you're not really doing that if you got this, but you know what I mean. I, I, and, I, and I do that so often. I'm so good at, at, at saying, at my struggle all week with this, with this part of the catechism, with these Bible verses, and I was like, doggone, I wish there weren't so many of them. But, you know, it's just saying, I'm, I'm much more comfortable saying, you know, we're just all a bunch of broken people doing the best we can. And, and at one level, that's exactly right. But the fact is, if Jesus Christ is alive, we're not just broken people. It's God's Spirit is alive in us. If Jesus Christ is alive, then I am a new creation, and my life ought to reflect that. The fact is, the Bible does expect change. The Bible expects change. Going back to the first verse of of Romans 6, Paul says, you know, he's talking about grace in chapter 5 and and chapter 4. Like Daniel said, you know, all of our sins are forgiven. We are saved by grace, not by anything we do. What shall we say then, Paul says? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Paul says, no. It is not just a matter of saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a sinner and I just go on sinning. One of my favorite John Ortberg stories, and I've told it here before, but he talks about it. Uh, it was at their church uh, 20 years ago, so it wasn't Willow Creek or Menlo Park where he is now. But, but Ortberg was, was at the church during the week, and he said, Never had this happen before or since, but he said people from OSHA, you know, the, whatever it is, the, the safety folks, you know, the workplace safety folks, people from OSHA showed up at the church during the week, and, and they said, what, what are you doing here? I mean, this, it's not like a lot of us are in dangerous positions, you know, I mean, most of us sit at our desks, these hands are really soft and tender, uh, you know, I mean, we don't, we're not a really dangerous place to work, and they said, well, we, we've had a complaint about workplace safety. What, what in the world was it? He said, well, on, on Sunday mornings, it's too loud. And, and we think the decibels might be out of place. And, and all of them knew immediately it was Hank. They knew it was Hank. Hank had been complaining about the level, noise level of the music for five years and finally figured out, maybe I can get OSHA on it and check the decibels and find out if it's unsafe for those who are being, uh, being paid to work at the church. And they just knew it was Hank, and they all said, well, that's just Hank being Hank. 
But then Orberg stops and says, hold on, if Christ is alive, we shouldn't just stay the way we are. Are we, are we being transformed? Are we being made new? Do we settle for too little? So on the one hand, the answer is that it's more than some of us think. And, and by that, we talk about what Bible teachers, theologians call the already. That we are already, as the catechism says, raised to new life. That there is a sense in which we have to recognize that our lives, we are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. So on the one hand, I want to say more than some of us think. On the other hand, not as much as others of us think. So what's the answer? you got to kind of decide for yourself where it is. You know what? For some of us, we need to be challenged on that side of saying, I should be seeing more fruit in my life. I should be seeing more evidence of godliness in my life. For some of us, it's, we got to remember that we still sin. 1 John 1 verse 8, he's writing to Christians. John is writing to Christians, and he says, if anyone claims to be without sin, that person deceives himself, and the truth is not in him. All of us still sin. And, and what we are is, is, is not yet what we will be. We are still growing, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. I am a new creation, and I am being transformed. And, and you know, the Bible, you know, at one sense you can say, well, that's contradictory. Either I am or I'm becoming. Guess what? The Bible says it's both. Deal with it. And, and, and I think that's what we got to just, somehow I am a completely new creation. Somehow I am becoming a new creation. And, and in the midst of that is saying, God, help me to know and be passionate and to understand what you want me to be. But we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. One more, First John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There is still more transformation. That's why, you know, the, the place where we are is, is how much should we expect? More than some of us. And, and part of what I want to challenge you to do is to say, where do you come out on that? Do you need to be a nudge, a, a little kick in the seat to say, you know what, I've got to take this and expect a little more transformation. Jesus Christ is alive, and so I need to, I need to really recognize that and, and think about that in my daily life, what it means that I am a new creation. Or do you say, you know what, I've been thinking a little bit too much of myself. I need to recognize that, that I'm still becoming, that there's the not yet. There's, you know, and, and so we live right now between the already and, and the not yet. So that's the first question. How much transformation should we expect? More than some of you think, less than others of us think. And for me, it's some days each, I'm on each side of that. And, and, and so we challenge ourselves to recognize it needs to be a reality. Second question, really important one here, because uh, I, I don't want us to go off in the wrong place here, but what does transformation look like? What does transformation look like? See, because what can happen in a sermon like this, what I find myself doing is, is to say, okay, you know what, that's right. Jesus Christ is alive. I am a new creation, and I want to live like it. And, and so what do I do? I say, okay, how do, what does that look like? And, and I think of, you know, the religious people I know, and, 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 and we end up looking like the church lady on Saturday Night Live or the Pharisees or whoever it is. Transformation for Jesus Christ was not becoming a more religious, rule-oriented person. But so often, that's what we settle for. So often we say, all right, if it's going to be more obvious, then I'm going to have to make it more obvious, and people will have to see me pray more, or people will have to see me. Now, don't get me wrong. I love praying, and it's important. But God didn't... Transformation is, is not first praying more. It, it might be a, a result of that, but, but transformation in the scriptures is not religious activity. Transformation in, the, in, in prayer is more than religious activity. I want to be careful there. But it's love. 
Jesus said, you know what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your God and love your neighbor. The second command, Matthew 22, is love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, I want to suggest that in some ways, one of the key battles between Jesus and the Pharisees, the legalists, was that they didn't think he had enough rules, right? So often we see that. And Jesus wants to say, yeah, but you're missing the main one. You're missing the main one. You want to know what it looks like to live a new life? It's to love God more and more. And it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And so you might come to church more, but if you come to church more to look religious, you're missing it. If you come to church more because you love God more, then that's good, all right? Again, it's the motivation. Prayer, study, reading scripture. God didn't save us so that we could read the Bible more. God saved us so that we could love him more and and we could love each other more. Now, I believe prayer, reading the Bible, worship, all those things help us do it. But it's love. It's, it's love. Let me just throw in that, that your neighbor includes your family. Uh, okay. You know, it's a lot easier to love the neighbor down the street who I don't have to see all the time than it is to love, like, the neighbor who's in the bed with me or the neighbor who's, you know, my son or my daughter or my parents or my sister or my brother or whatever. But, but it's very clear. The question is, am I growing in love? And, and I think it's so important. I can remember a, a friend of mine, somebody I knew, she, she was a Christian, but then had an experience, and in some ways I'd say it was a great experience, because it was an experience of saying, Jesus Christ is alive, and his spirit lives in me. And, and, and she would say that she was just experiencing the Holy Spirit in new and profound ways. And, and at one level, I want to say, that's great. Many of us need that challenge. Many of us need that experience, that we want to we know what it is, that Jesus Christ is alive in us. But the problem is, over the course of the next year, as I interacted with this person, she became more judgmental, more arrogant, and more angry. And I want to say, I'm not sure that's the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit at work, the question is, am I growing more loving? The question is, am I loving my neighbor? Am I loving God more and more and more? You know, so often we want to, again, we get so caught up in what the Pharisees did saying, okay, I'm going to show you that Jesus is alive in my life, so I'm going to do all of these things. And like the Pharisees, we follow the rules, but we don't love. And I want to just challenge you and encourage you and ask you to just say, God, help me to grow in love. Am I loving you? Am I loving my neighbor more and more? The Apostle Paul, when he lists the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, right, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the first one, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. If the Spirit has a hold of you, the question is, are you growing more loving? Not more angry, not more judgmental, but are you growing more loving? That's the question. That's the question for us as a church. Is Jesus Christ alive at Hillside? Are we growing more loving? Do we love each other better? Do we love the community better? Do we, do we, if, we, if we don't love better, then Jesus Christ is not transforming us as much as he ought to. But it's love that is the indicator. Third question. Third question. How do we grow in transformation? All right, how do we grow? First one is, is how much should we expect? More than some, less than others think. What does it look like? It's growing in love. It's not becoming a legalist, but it's growing in love and learning to love our neighbor and learning to love God more and more. And then, and then third, how do we do that? How do we do that? And I want to say the first thing is not by trying hard. Yes, we work at it. Yeah, yeah, we learn what it is. We, we try to put off the old nature, as Paul says, put on the new. We, but, but it's not first and foremost by trying harder. As I've looked at my own life, and, and I pray that there's been some growth in the last 25 years, again, not, not as much as I, uh, as it should be. 
But as I look at it, I think, you know what? The key to my growth, whenever I have learned to love more, is by learning to live in the love and the power of the resurrected Jesus. And the image that, that works for me best is just learning to dance with Jesus. That, that, that's what I think Paul is talking about when he, when he says in, in Galatians later on, when he says, you know, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know, it's not rule keeping. That's Jesus, you know, the Pharisees tried to do it under their own power. The Pharisees tried to do it by saying, I'm going to show that I'm in a relationship with God by, the, by my strength and by my ability to do this. And Jesus says, come to me and, and, and take my burden on you. My yoke is easy. Come and learn to dance. And, and, and if you think about it again, it's not, it, it, yeah, there are steps in a dance and so on. But when you have somebody who leads, it's just learning to follow that lead. And I think what, what teaches me to love more than any other is, is just to look in the eyes of Jesus day in and day out. To realize that the way to life is through death and resurrection. And I just, wanna, I just wanna see him and see myself in his eyes. And as I do that, then I begin to experience what it is to love others. And, and so there's this amazing thing of, of happening that, that as we see Jesus more, we become more like him. As we look into his face more, we become more like him. And I think about that as we, as we come to the table today. And as we, as we celebrate communion together. Most of the time when we celebrate this meal and it's good and we do that partially today as well, we say, you know what, this is all about forgiveness. You are forgiven and, and that's true. This is, Jesus does this and it's the complete forgiveness of all our sins. But it's not just forgiveness because Jesus feeds us. Jesus comes to be in us. Jesus lives in us. And part of what we do as we take this bread and as we drink this cup, something amazing happens because we are transformed. Something amazing happens that we more and more experience the love of Jesus for ourselves, but then we become uh, more alive in Christ. More alive in Christ. And so as we come to the table, it's not just a matter of saying, oh good, my sins are forgiven. It's saying, Jesus, I want more of you in my life. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to die to myself so that I can live and love others. I want to die to myself so I can love my spouse more. I want to die to myself so that I can, and, 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 and then out of that love, then I want to live that way. And, and so as we come to the table, Jesus feeds us himself. In Colossians, Paul says the mystery that, that the world has waited for is that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And, and this table is one of the places that Christ becomes alive in us. As we pray, he becomes alive in us. As we read scripture, he becomes alive in us. As we sing, he becomes alive in us. And as we come to the table, he becomes alive in us. And more and more, we are made new. The scriptures make clear that if we are in Christ, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The question for us this morning is, will we dare to believe it? Will we dare to recognize that Jesus Christ is alive and we can learn to love. Let's pray together. Father, we're good at Good Friday, recognizing that, that we're sinners. And it's true. But Father, you, you said that you are alive, that Jesus Christ is alive. So come alive in us, come alive in us and live in us today, Lord. 
so that we can love in the midst of challenges, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of brokenness in this world. Father, help us simply to love you and love each other. And the world will know, the world will know that you are alive. So feed us, fill us, shape us, mold us at your table. Amen.